0: God this morning in the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. This is the chapter that we should remember is in the great, great book that teaches us the truth we considered last week that we are justified by faith alone. That is laid out clearly in the opening chapters of this book. And then the Apostle applies that truth to our life. The subject of this chapter really is a life of good works, which in the first verse that we read is called our reasonable service, a reasonable service. Romans 12, this is the Word of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, of ministry... Let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We read that far in God's holy word and consider this evening the truth of holy scripture as we find it in Lord's Day 24. Lord's Day 24. But why cannot our good works be the whole or part of our righteousness before God? Because that the righteousness which can be approved of before the tribunal of God must be absolutely perfect and in all respects conformable to the divine law. And also that our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. What? Do not our good works merit, which yet God will reward in this and in a future life. This reward is not of merit, but of grace. But doth not this doctrine make men careless and profane? By no means. For it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the subject of Lord's Day 24 importantly follows the subject of Lord's Day 23, which is the truth that we are righteous or justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It importantly follows, and that for a number of reasons, but especially it follows because What the Catechism is pointing out here is the truth of Holy Scripture everywhere, which is that to be righteous by faith alone always produces holiness. There is a fruit, an inevitable fruit of being righteous by faith alone which is that the one who is righteous by the imputation of Christ's righteousness will then also live in righteousness. That is, live in holiness. We learn that justification is God's act declaring the elect but guilty sinner righteous by imputing, by reckoning, to that individual the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, that righteousness that is imputed in justification has nothing to do with any righteousness in the sinner himself and has therefore nothing to do with the works, either good or evil, of that sinner. Nevertheless, because of the inseparable, inevitable relationship between being imputed righteousness or justified and living in righteousness, there is the question, therefore, well, what then is the place of good works? How do they fit into this salvation of being imputed righteousness? by God and that's the subject of this Lord's Day. It is important that the catechism, significant that the catechism at this point, does not explain what good works are that's coming in a future Lord's Day. The catechism significantly here simply assumes that the Christians who make this confession understand somewhat what good works are will know that good works can simply be summarized according to the law of God. That good works are to love God and love the neighbor. The great and chief good work is love God and love the neighbor. Catechism here also does not treat why necessarily we must do good works. That too is coming in the future. Nor does the catechism even ask the question, if there is a place in our salvation for good works, that too will be treated later. Again, the catechism understands that you and I will know the truth of Holy Scripture that good works have an important, significant, even necessary place in our salvation. Titus 2, verse 14, we read that Jesus Christ gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. A peculiar people zealous of good of good works. And Ephesians 2, verse 10, which we will reference this morning, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The question, therefore, is not whether there is a place in our salvation for good works. But what is that place? Now the catechism treats that, and it treats it because often in the church, the church itself or its members have assigned a wrong place to good works in our salvation. Something that Ephesians 2 also teaches against when it says in verse 9, "...for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." That stands over against the frequent error, whether it be in our own thinking or in the church, that somehow our works contribute to that salvation or are a part of salvation in that they are the cause or the explanation of that salvation. And the catechism teaches not so much with that in view, but the proper place, therefore, of good works. The Heidelberg Catechism isn't here so much concerned, therefore, with the wrong place. It did that sufficiently in the previous Lord's Day, but having us understand what is the right place. And it does that by reaffirming and teaching, therefore, why why good works cannot be assigned the wrong place in our salvation. And then it answers two great objections to the truth of justification by faith alone. It answers them, and in answering them, assigns the right place for good works in our salvation. So we're going to consider this Lord's Day under the theme, the place of good works in salvation, and look at it from three points of view. That good works are the fruit of righteousness, that they are they are the second place the rewarded gift and finally the certain activity in our salvation in question and answer 62 beloved the heidelberg catechism gives one reason why good works cannot be the whole or part of our righteousness before god they cannot even be part of our righteousness So much is that true, that even when in the title of the sermon, we call good works and assign to them a place in our salvation, we must be very, very careful what we mean. Because the Heidelberg Catechism here eliminates us saying that good works are part of our righteousness before God. Now there is another reason why our good works cannot be the whole or part of our righteousness before God. And that's implied in question and answer 64. And would like to treat that this morning. When question and answer 64 says, it's impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith that they should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness, then that's implying that we need to be implanted into Christ before we can do good works. And that's why they cannot be part or whole of our righteousness before God or the means and cause of our salvation. Catechism here is essentially making the same argument as the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 10 that we quoted earlier. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 10 says we are created unto good works. And he's not speaking there about our physical creation when we were first formed in our mother's womb, but of our spiritual creation, our spiritual recreation. And the Apostle Paul there is referring to the very same thing that the Heidelberg Catechism is referring when it talks to us being implanted in Jesus Christ. The idea is that we are recreated in Christ when we are implanted into Him by the Holy Spirit. We are joined to Christ. Joined by faith. So that His Spirit is our spirit. And that implanting is a creation and that creation is an implanting. The catechism therefore wants us to view our being saved or becoming righteous our being justified as a kind of creation similar to the sense of God's creation in the beginning. That word is used there in Ephesians for the same reason the word implanting is being used. Both of those words teach us a lot about our salvation. They teach us in the first place that this salvation, this declaration of God that we are righteous is an act of God alone. It is an act of God such that you are passive. A seed is implanted. The seed doesn't plant itself. The thing created does not create itself. But there is another outside of that individual who did not exist and then causes them to exist. Those phrases teach us that this salvation is an act of God's almighty power. It is an act of God doing the impossible. One plants a seed that is dead, that in itself has no life. And through the miracle of implanting, that seed comes to life. In the act of creation, there is something that is nothing. It does not exist. And then becomes something. Something is there that was not there before. And the only explanation for that is an act of God's almighty power Causing it to be. Catechism is doing that because it's teaching us one reason. On the one hand, we might make good works or give good works a wrong place in our salvation. Namely, a place of being the cause or being the ground of our salvation. And one reason that's done is when we do not properly understand the miracle, the wonder, the act of God that is necessary to produce a good work. Often, in fact, almost always, with the notion of assigning the wrong place to good works and salvation goes along with underestimating, minimizing, if not rebelling consciously against the fact that that good work is a work of God. And that, in the first place, importantly, it requires an implanting before one even examines the fruit or the leaves of a plant, one should consider that it was implanted. And when one considers the wonder of a person and an individual who is living in this world, before they even examine the fruit of their life, examine their behavior, one must consider that they were created, thus also in salvation that is required even before one enters into the subject of good works. And when one considers especially their proper place, one cannot and may not do so without understanding that there must be the granting of life. There must be an implanting. And there must be a creation. And those implanting and creation, those acts, are every bit as miraculous and amazing as God's creation of the whole world in six days. The result of this creation says the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 and similarly the very same thing that the Apostle means in Romans chapter 12 when he beseeches us to present our bodies A living sacrifice. Notice that. Present them a living sacrifice. Implying they're already alive. And when he talks about that as our reasonable service, underlying it all is the words that he says, by the mercies of God. He has in mind the same thing as the Apostle in Ephesians 2 verse 10. Namely, That being created by God, being implanted into Christ, we are His workmanship. We are His workmanship. That too is important. For when one considers the work that is produced by something, when one considers what something is or what it does, One should never do that without considering that that thing is something else's workmanship. How foolish, how absurd, how insane that we would consider that even the good works we produce as something that we actually produce. Even when we consider our good works or the good works that I do. The meaning is never that they are my workmanship, that I have produced them in the sense that I have produced the life and the energy and the strength and the wisdom to do that. If now I am God's creation, and if now I am His workmanship, then any works that I do, because after all, God did create me a person, the subject of what I do. Nevertheless, they are God's workmanship." There. The catechism following the Holy Scripture is setting forth why why it is that our good works cannot have the wrong place in our salvation. Why, in particular, they cannot be part of the part of or the whole of our righteousness before God. It's impossible. The reason, of course, is, and something we need to consider, that before there is any of these things, we are dead. Dead in trespasses. Dead in sins. All we are in all of our being, in all of our thoughts, minds, words, and deeds, is depraved, totally depraved, and nothing more. We are a dead tree. A dead tree cannot produce fruit. Something that isn't created can't do anything. A seed that still remains above the ground, unplanted in something, cannot produce fruit. So then that brings us exactly to what the Catechism is teaching, which is that the proper place of good works in our salvation has to do with something that it is a fruit. It is related to seeds and planting, to trees and producing fruit. The argument is this. Supposing that there is someone who is already saved and producing good works. Why cannot those good works be a whole or part of their righteousness? Now, from a certain viewpoint, you could say that's, that's really unnecessary to say. As we said, if we're producing good works, then we're saved. If we're saved, then we're righteous. But it points out one of the problems with those who object. They do not understand the difference between living a righteous life and being imputed righteousness. You have to be aware of that. There are times when we use those words interchangeably. Righteousness. Righteousness is related to justification, of course, because in justification, we are made righteous in a certain sense. Well, in what sense? Well, it's imputed. It's declared to us. That's different now from actually living in righteousness. Actually doing righteousness. That's something else. We have to be careful about that. The the latter is often called holiness. The Scriptures do distinguish between the two at times. One thing to be declared righteous, it's another thing to live righteously, to live in holiness, to be sanctified. That's why we distinguish between justification and sanctification and why we have to be so careful with those terms and even of our use of the word righteousness. And what the catechism is teaching is that living in righteousness isn't the same thing as being declared righteousness. And living righteously doesn't make us righteous. Rather, one can only live righteously if, first of all, one is declared or made righteous by God. That's justification. The one always precedes the other as far as the work of God is concerned. At the same time, there is such a close relationship that When we teach good works, which is living righteously, we teach them as the fruit of being declared righteous. That is Scripture. That is the Reformed faith. That's the teaching of Lord's Day 24, and I want to make that clear. The idea is, according to the creeds, you may look up, for example, the Belgian Confession, article 24. Easy one to remember because it aligns with this article is that in justification, God declares the tree righteous. The tree, of course, understands its righteous by faith, which faith is an implanting of them into Christ. And there's fruit that comes of that. The dead tree is made alive. And being made alive, it then actually produces fruit and both of those acts of God may be considered salvation so that it's proper to say that to live righteously is the fruit of being imputed righteousness that's proper And similarly, we may say that being imputed righteousness is our salvation. We may not have to fear those terms. It is salvation. It's deliverance. It's being saved from something. It's being saved and delivered from guilt. Being saved and delivered from the damning curse of God. But so also now is the fruit that it produces. Fruit still belongs to the tree. It's part of the life of the tree. And so we may properly speak of good works being part of our salvation. It too is deliverance. The tree formerly dead is alive. The tree formerly that had no fruit has fruit. And that's deliverance. That's salvation. It belongs to our salvation. But having said all that, We're going to be clear. We have to be clear even as the catechism is clear and point out that another reason, our good works cannot be part of or the whole of our righteousness before God. Notice that before God. How God judges us is because they're all polluted. What God demands of us is greater than we can produce. Even the fruit even the fruit that is produced in the tree is not sufficient to be our righteousness. The righteousness demanded according to the catechism before the tribunal of God when dragged before God in a courtroom and one produces all kinds of fruit and would attempt to produce or take that fruit and present it to God to present it before God as it were in a basket and say How's this? God would say insufficient. Why? Well, God demands absolute perfection. God demands fruit with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you reserved a great deal of your heart and mind and soul and strength for yourself, producing fruit for yourself, living for yourself, living unto yourself. That's not absolute perfection. Not only that, when we examine that fruit, we find all kinds of flaws in that fruit. The real fruit, the true fruit that God sees as righteousness, must be absolutely conformable to the divine law. And our fruit, the fruit produced on our trees in this life, it's not in all respects conformable to the divine law. When we pray, we sin. When we worship, we sin. When we help our neighbor, we're oftentimes selfish about that. We're begrudging. So that's the answer of the catechism about why our good works cannot be the whole or part of our righteousness. and Why they cannot be assigned the place of ground or cause of our salvation. The answer is, well, then they're not fruit of that salvation. They're not a fruit of the imputed righteousness of Christ. They cannot be that in the second place because they don't conform perfectly to the righteousness of God. Now, that's all part of the truth of justification by faith alone. We may call it the negative side of things, proceeded into that, but the Catechism anticipates then two objections. Now that this is all clearly understood, now that this is all clearly understood that I am not righteous before God on the basis of my faith or the worthiness of my faith, that I'm not righteous before God on the basis of my good works. Once we understand where all those come from, there's going to be two objections. And in the second point of the sermon, we, we meet one of those Objections. The argument is very simple. Well, well, if if that's true, then you deny what Scripture teaches, which is that God rewards our good works. That's what you're teaching. You deny that. Now, that's, that's an important answer of the catechism here, and we should look at it because recently we had to deal with similar accusations. The Protestant Reformed churches were teaching the right place of good works in salvation. And when that was done, the accusation was that we were teaching that our good works are rewarded with merit. But in disguise, the accusation was, you're actually teaching that your good works are rewarded at all, and that's wrong. I could prove that if you want me to. Just send me an email. I'll send you the proof. And that's not true. The truth, the truth of Holy Scripture, the truth that even the objectors to justification by faith alone have, is that the Bible clearly teaches that our good works are rewarded. The Bible teaches that. It teaches that as Reformed doctrine. It teaches that as the truth. And it teaches that with joy and wonder. It teaches that for our benefit, for us to consider not to be ashamed of or afraid of. Listen to the Psalter numbers we sing. Psalter 83 from Psalm 18. For good... The Lord rewarded me because I kept his way aright. Or number 41 from Psalm 19, In keeping of his word there is great reward. Or number 161 from Psalm 62, Thou, according to his work, dost every man reward. That's faithful to Scripture. Revelation 2, verse 23 all shall know that I am he that searcheth the hearts and will give to everyone according to your works. Or Matthew 16, verse 27. The Son of Man shall come in glory of his Father and shall reward every man according to his works. Good works are whenever we do what God has called us to do or avoid doing what God tells us we may not do that we may say our good works it is to do those things of course in thankfulness and in love for God and we also may not be afraid of saying that the child of God actually does do what God calls him to do. And the child of God, who is righteous before God by faith, avoids that which God tells him to stay away from. That too is Scripture. It's written all over Scripture. I love the Lord, the fount of life, and grace. The Bible does not only call us to love God and love our neighbor, but the Bible importantly attributes to the child of God, to the depraved and in himself dead child of God, the doing of good works. And not only that, But says that God rewards them. We must fearlessly proclaim that. And if you ask why, the answer is because it's part of your salvation, it's part of the great creating of God, it's part of being the workmanship of God. How in the world can one give God all the glory and the honor if one denies that there are even good works that are done by the workmanship of God? Even under the guise of grace and supposedly under the giving of God all the glory, It is possible and it is done that one actually robs God of his glory by not considering the greatness of the work of God causing you and I, dead sinners in and of ourselves, to do what we cannot do in ourselves. And then, and then, either in fear or in rebellion, fail to acknowledge the even greater miracle of it all, which God rewards those works. The issue, of course, is what kind of reward. That's the issue. Not that there is a reward. A reward that follows after the good work, by the way, just like fruit. Rewards follow after. They come after what is done. That's not the issue. It was recently made the issue in the doctrinal controversy. It was wrongly made the issue. The issue was made whether or not we do good works, and that was denied. You don't do good works. To do that robs God of the glory. To say you do good works robs God of His grace. Not true. Simply read your Scriptures. Read them. It was made the issue that God doesn't reward them. Because if God rewards them, the argument was, then they're merited. It's not true. Lord's Day 24 tells us what the issue is. The issue is what kind of reward Is it one of merit? Or is it of grace? And yes, that means there is such a thing as a reward of grace. So what is that? Well, negatively, a reward of grace is not earned. It's not merited. In other words, it's not something God owes us for anything that we have done. It's nothing whereby I obligate God. And here, by the way, importantly, not by the way really, is the difference the Bible makes between what we are before God. Are we hired by God to do a job? Well, no. That, that really isn't really the predominant teaching of Scripture. Always the word is servant. Why is that? Because servants do receive from their master. They receive many good gifts from their master. Gifts that sustain their life. But they serve their master. They do good to their master. They do good in the eyes of the master. But they never merit anything. They never earn anything. They never can put anything in the bank, as it were. That's why the Apostle Paul calls the doing of good works in Romans chapter 12 our reasonable service. It's service. God owns us. See how this brings us back to justification. Justification is often put in terms of redemption. How is it that the righteousness of Christ can be imputed to us? Well, it has to do with the fact that He redeemed us on the cross. What is redemption? To redeem is to purchase. Why is it that the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism is that I'm not my own, but belong to? Why do I belong to Christ? Because He bought you. He bought you with His own blood. He purchased you. He owns you. Now can you earn anything in that relationship. That, that, that's, that's why we talk about the fact that there can be no conditions in the relationship. Now some say, wrongly again, that conditions are produced when you have one thing that happens after another. So that if fruit follows something prior to it, it must be a conditional Relationship. No, it's not true. A reward is not a conditional relationship, not necessarily. But the kind of reward it is is determined by the relationship. And what's the relationship of us to God? Is it one whereby we earn and merit? No. No, it's one whereby we're slaves because we were purchased, we're owned by God never mind that we can never do more than's required in order to merit and earn you have to do more than what's required that's not possible what's required is perfect love and obedience all the time as the heidelberg catechism says even our best works that might possibly be considered they're all defiled with sin so how can you ever go above and beyond that to earn more than what's expected not possible Article 24 that I referenced in the Belgian Confession. We do good works. Notice that. That's confessional. We do good works, but not to merit by them. For what can we merit? We are beholden to God for when we shall have done all those things which are commanded... We are unprofitable servants. Luke 17, verse 10. We are beholden to God for the good works we do, and not He to us, since it is through His grace that He crowns His gifts. His gifts are the good works. The reward of grace is His crowning of them. Don't you see the wonder and the amazement here? Don't you see how abhorrent it is to deny that there's a reward of our good works or that we even do them beside being unbiblical and unreformed. Now positively, positively it's a reward of grace because those good works are God's gift of His grace to us and His sovereign goodness. They are God's gift to us. They're not our gifts to God in the first place, but God's gifts to us. Even when the Bible speaks of us giving to God, Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's talking about giving your body to God. You understand that you're not giving it to God in such a way that it wasn't God's to begin with. You're only giving it to God in the sense that you acknowledge that what you have and are giving to God came from Him. Right? When you put your money in the collection plate, where'd that money come from? Are you giving to God something that belongs to you in the sense that you earned it, you got it, it comes from you? No. You're only giving to God what He gave to you. In fact, that's why collection plates should overflow. The money in the collection plate goes down a little bit when we begin to imagine that what I'm putting in here is mine. No, it's not. Where'd you get that? Got it from God. Good work for it the same way. They're God's gift to me. and They're God's gift to you. We suppose, we imagine to ourselves, well, God, God created me, and now it's up to me to, to do something. No, that's that's not how it works. The Creator is responsible for both the creation of the thing and that which the thing produces. That's what the Apostle is getting at in Ephesians 2 when he says, even, that we were before ordained to do them. There, that puts everything in its right place, doesn't it? It's Interesting how, how when we talk about election, we, we want to frame election in terms of salvation. It means that God chose us to be saved, to go to heaven. Well, put it in these terms, that God chose you to do good works. Because that's what that means in Ephesians 2. That God created us unto good works which He has before ordained that we should do them or walk in them. you understand what that means? It means that you were created for one reason. God made you to do one thing. You have one purpose in life. One calling in life. That's to do good works. Period. End of story. God didn't really even create you to enjoy your salvation as such or have comfort in that salvation as such. Not as such. The idea of Holy Scripture is you were saved from something and saved unto something. That's election. That's God's choosing to save you from your sin, to save you from your guilt, to save you from condemnation, but save you unto something. And then, that's the explanation of all good works. God ordained that. God desired that. God willed that. And God produced it, first by implanting you, creating you, giving you life. That's what it really means to be fruit. And then, amazingly, God rewards it. That's the amazing thing. The amazing thing that God actually does all this, produces it all, and then He blesses it. He rewards it. He rewards the faithful mother in the home who's only doing what she's doing because God has made her alive and given her faith, given her the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and then rewards that mother in the home with faithful children. Blessings upon her labor, joy in her labor. He rewards it in a future life. How can that be? Well, it's God's grace. That's not merit. Now, there's another objection, and this that this takes away from all the motivation for doing good works. Well, if this is true, reverend, then why in the world would we do good works? Now, you understand that's a pretty silly objection if you really think about it. But we have to look at it because it's often our own objection from time to time. It comes out. Against that objection, the catechism says that's impossible. It's impossible. By no means. It's impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Do you understand that we often say that, but we don't often believe it or think it? It comes out. It comes out comes out when we may perhaps see sin in our own life and wickedness in our own life or sin or wickedness in the life of others in the congregation. And then the preaching comes along and teaches about God's gracious, sovereign, unconditional covenant or God's election of us or God's preserving us through all things. And we say, well, that's not really what's needed right now. That's not what's needed right now. What we need to hear is about how we ought to live. We, we we need to we need to hear something differently, and you don't understand what that implies. What that implies is, oh, that kind of producing that kind of preaching does produce careless and profane lives. The reason we have careless and profane lives, my own and in the congregation, is 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 because there's too much of that. Well, it's nonsense. If there's anything to be said, there's not enough of it. That's. The implication of this particular Lord's Day. or, or, we imagine that the, 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 what needs to be done is the minister has to preach on, on, on this or that. You know, the the, the kids are, I, I understand, are doing drugs at covenant. They're they're into drugs. Minister, you need to preach about how how bad drugs are and evil are and how they destroy you, and, or this or that. Or we might have a member in the congregation who's living in sin, and we, we're all aware of his living sin. Well, what, that, we, we need to preach about that. But that's not necessarily true. You, you understand that when the kids are doing drugs at Covenant, it, it's not because they don't know it's wrong. It's why they're hiding it. You know, full well, it's wrong. They know full well about the evil, what it is. We can remind them of that. Then perhaps to remind them how depraved they are. Or people imagine that, you know, the cure for all this is if, you know, we don't discipline, we shouldn't discipline, because the last thing, you know, they need to be outside the church, what they need is to be in the church. They need to hear the preaching of the Word. They need to hear God's Word, especially God's Word that lays His finger on their sin. That's not necessarily true. The catechism is giving another explanation for why you may have a, a an individual... Who's under discipline in the church and ought to be under discipline and ought to be excommunicated out of the church? And the answer is they're not implanted into Christ because if they were implanted into Christ, it's impossible that they live careless and profane lives. You may want to examine the behavior of the young people in that line. Maybe maybe you shouldn't be assuming that they're all implanted into Christ because it's impossible if one's implanted into Christ to live a careless and profane life, and that's a profane life. Do you understand that? This Word of God is very, very sharp. It is impossible. It is impossible to be created by Christ Jesus. To be His workmanship. And then not do what you're supposed to do. What do you do when you make something that's supposed to do something and it don't do it? What do you do it? You throw it in the trash. You burn it. You say, this doesn't do what what it's supposed to do. Well, when people live wicked and profane lives, that's what's going on. Do they really need to hear what's wicked and profane about their life? In many cases, they've been hearing that for 30, 40 years, sitting under the preaching, listening to it. They know full well what they're doing is wrong, but they do it anyway. Why do they do that? Is it because they're created in Christ Jesus unto good works? The answer is no, it can't be. This is serious stuff. And if this is the kind of behavior we find in ourselves and in the church, what we should examine is the true biblical explanation of that. There's no fruit on that tree. It must be a dead tree. What that tree's producing is not love for God and the neighbor, it's producing simply love for self. must not be a tree engrafted into Christ. Oh, that doesn't mean that they're reprobate, doesn't mean that they can't be made alive, doesn't mean that God can't reverse that. But it does mean you have to recognize that. Otherwise, what you're saying is, yes, it is possible. Yes, it is possible for individuals to live in the life, live in the church, to claim they're justified by faith alone, to say they're righteous with the imputation of Christ's righteousness, and live careless and profane lives. You're saying that's possible. And the catechism says, no, it's not. No, the child of God lives a careful life and not a profane one. That is, he lives a life of good works. And that means he does them a certain way. does them out of gratitude. That's why they're called a life of thankfulness. If I'm saved in order to work, then I may not work in order to be saved. If my work is God's gift to me, then I may not work to repay God. If I'm made what I am to praise God, then I may not work in order to receive God's praise. If it's part of my own free salvation, then I may not do that in order to be saved. That's the implication of all this. And that's truly what a good work is. And then as soon as you say that, you cannot help but say, and that's why it has to be the work of God in us. That's why it has to be due to a miraculous creation of us. And that's the place of good works. Oh, they have a place. A very important place. A place to the glory and honor of God. God. Let's give it that place. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, O Lord, thou who hast made us new creatures, give us evermore that life that we may so live before thy face, not selfishly, not to merit, not to obtain, but to glorify thy name who has so ordained that we should live And forgive us, O Lord, that we have sinned. Forgive us our sins so that we may know anew the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ and the righteousness that we need is His and not our own. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Psalter number 383.